Hey, this is Sophia. And this is Natasha. And welcome to another episode of Winter's Blooms Talks, which is an extension of our website, Winter's Bloom. Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to another episode of Winter's Bloom Talks. Um, We're really excited about this one because we feel like it brings a somewhat kind of like theoretical or like a larger image conversation around um, this month, which is in the U.S., Filipino American Heritage Month, and over in the U.K., Black British Heritage Month, um, which are our respective countries. Um, So in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the concepts or the movements or the ways of beings that are womanism and panayism. And I had actually never heard of either thing uh, before I read it in a book called Colonize This, I kept seeing the term womanist or womanism. Um, so I decided to look it up and then I proposed uh, or I like brought it up to Sophia and she had also never heard it before this time. And, and we'll hopefully get into that a little bit into the discussion. Um, but just to jump us off, I wanted to kind of frame the discussion through our relationship with feminism. Uh, So to jump us off, Sophia, I was wondering if you could tell us um, in the history of your life, (laughs) have you ever called yourself a feminist? Why or why not? That's an interesting question. Um, My immediate reaction when I was reflecting on it was like, no, I I haven't. And then I realized I made a whole YouTube video (laughs) back in first year of uni about feminism. Um, And it was actually inspired by that documentary that we watched together I think for the feminist society um but I could be wrong I don't know if you remember the documentary it was called um misrepresentation and yeah, essentially that documentary was kind of looking at the ways in which um women well I mean not just this but this is the main thing that I guess has stuck with me all these years is the way that women's bodies have been commodified and hypersexualized in the media and in um in the capitalist society that we live in. Um so yeah, after watching that documentary, I think I had previously kind of associated feminist feminism with almost being like a stigma in a way. Um kind of related to like those angry, stereotypical, like, angry lesbian, like, women who just hate men. And so I was kind of reluctant um, in my teenage years to associate myself with that. But since making that video (laughs) and learning more about um, my roots, um, also reflecting more on my faith as a a Muslim woman and the ways in which I feel mainstream feminism kind of excludes both those elements of my identity I would not consider myself a feminist and I have not considered myself a feminist for quite some time so I think it was a very brief window in which I considered myself a feminist to be honest how about you when I think back to the times that I've been faced with feminism throughout my life I've always felt like a vague discomfort with that Um, And I don't think I've always hesitated to call myself a feminist, but in certain circles, when people are talking about women's issues, like I feel super passionate about it. Like, for example, 
abortion or something like that, or like even just, um, what is it called? Reproductive health in general. Um, and I think I've always like, there's always been in the back of my mind where I'm like, okay, it's great that we're talking about this, but there are some people who are in different communities, whether that's like communities of color or impoverished communities or the intersection of both of those communities who like the conversation surrounding access to abortion is very different. And I, though I am a woman of color, I didn't necessarily come from the intersection of those like two communities. Um, So in some ways, like around that discussion, like my views was like a little bit more similar to maybe what these white feminist women were talking about. But there was still that acknowledgement that there was a very different reality for other people not included in these like discussions about it. So, so kind of to like make a long story short, I have maybe called myself a feminist in order or, okay, I have never called myself a feminist, but I have participated in feminist discussions or, you know, feminist whatever movements because I didn't know that there was anything else out there. And as a woman, I was like, this is supposed to represent me, right? Um, And even though I felt that underlying, like, discomfort, um, I I didn't, like, I didn't have the vocabulary or I didn't have the knowledge to really question it. And for example, so I have another example from college, um, which is university. uh, It's the same thing as university. But um, there was this group called Women in Science, and they would have little like social gatherings together and they would do all these other things. Um, Like I know there were a lot of workshops and stuff like that. And I remember going to them and expecting to feel a certain amount of like of healing or maybe not healing. Maybe that was putting too much expectation on it, but like a certain amount of belonging as like a woman in science. Um, But I just remember it being very male bashing or very man bashing and not that I haven't had rough experiences with men like I definitely have or like male identified individuals but I just remember in college feeling kind of isolated by that mentality and being like I mean I understand that men have more opportunities in this world also dependent on their identities um but I feel like to completely bash them or diminish them or like try to cut them out of the picture is not the right answer. Um, which is, which is one of the things that was very appealing for me about womanism. And, um, we'll, we'll kind of get into that discussion later, but just to briefly kind of like define womanism, at least from my understandings of the readings that Sophia and I both did, which will all be in the show notes. Um, but, Womanism seems like, to me at least, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, Sophia, um, of a bridge among many things, and especially sexism in the Black community and racism in the feminist community. And this happens by elevating and celebrating Black womanhood. Um, And furthermore, womanism was kind of a response to the largely white middle-class feminist movement, I think, that you and I both kind of felt a little bit discomfort around. Um, And what also really spoke to me is that Womanism is quote unquote family oriented and focuses on discrimination against women in the context of race, class, and gender. Um, and they don't paint men as the enemy. They really like womanists and womanism really wants to look at a holistic solution that includes men um, in the picture. 
Um, and Sophia, I was wondering if like through your reading or research on these articles, if you had come to similar or different understandings, or if I was missing anything. Um, I think the readings we did were really interesting, actually. And um, I can't remember. It was It's Alice. I can't remember her surname. Please remind me. Alice Walker, I believe. Yes. Um, so it was interesting to see, well, obviously she is, well, not obviously, because <laughs> not everyone may know, but she is a black woman. But it was interesting for me to see how, I guess, a kind of another form, strand of feminism, although she does say something like, um, feminism, you know, womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender. So I guess it's meant to be a bigger overarching um kind of movement but I think even still um to me there were still some limitations and I, I'm not like crit- critiquing it because I think people tend to respond to things from their own positionality um and so for example myself being half black um and also being a working class and a woman I feel that I could definitely more strongly identify with womanism than I could with mainstream feminism um but for example the intersection of religion is not something that's taken into account and I can completely understand why not in the sense that well from my knowledge I don't think Alice Walker is for example Muslim um and I'm using Islam because obviously that's my my religion and also one religion that I feel is highly persecuted in many ways um particularly for their perceived treatment of women um and yeah so it kind of just got me reflecting on how many different movements would need to be created for each different intersection of different you know parts of identity um but that's just kind of yeah my my musings on it I do think there is overall a more inclusive um movement and I did see myself more represented more represented sorry in that movement Mm. yeah I love love what you're saying about that and I definitely want to come back to um that discussion and like what's lacking or like yeah where we see this kind of fitting in into the wider scope of our lives and also our communities but I just did want to backtrack really quick and I know we've kind of touched on this but I was wondering if um uh if you feel comfortable of course offering a few specifics about like do you feel represented in the feminist movement why or why not and what do you feel was missing um for you I guess the main thing well two of the main things that I think um didn't fit with me personally with like and again I, I acknowledge that even feminism in and of itself has so many sub movements or different nuances so what I'm referring to is what I would call mainstream feminism which is kind of like the feminism that I think most people interact with on a very superficial level like just what comes to mind when you think of feminism so that's kind of what I'm referring to just um as a reference point um I think the first thing is that because um it is so I don't know if it's so broad I don't think it's broad I think it's normative in the sense that it takes one type of woman's experience um 
in the case of mainstream feminism, white women's experiences, um, and to a certain degree, privileged white women experience, um, experiences, not necessarily middle class, I wouldn't say nowadays, but it definitely still is. Someone who I would say has the privilege to even, you know, make demands or kind of assess certain things in their lives and feel that they have the confidence, the ability, the voice to, um, to, to ask for those rights. And that kind of becomes mm -hmm. the normative line of like women's experiences. And it, I feel loses a lot of the, the subtleties um, precisely for the case that womanism puts forward of the intersections of different um, identity factors and how those factors interact for unique experiences of discrimination. On top of that, I feel like more mm -hmm. recently, um, it... <sighs> I feel like, yeah, there's that whole element of, like, hating men that, or, like, men shaming um, and being, like, we don't need men, which I don't think is the point of feminism. Um, but also, I feel like, and this might just be a particular UK-based kind of discussion, so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and touch on this in terms of the US context, but it almost feels like it's gone 360 in terms of like women should be free to do whatever they want with their bodies, which I agree with, but in the sense that like, you know, women should be basically, okay, sorry, I'm struggling to phrase this in a way that makes sense, if you don't mind cutting this bit out. Um, yeah, so I feel like the movement has kind of been appropriated, I would say, by certain groups for their own personal means, rather than for necessarily the overall well-being of women. And so to give an example of that in the UK, in a UK context, would be groups of feminists who, for example, in, well, I was going to say in the UK, I was, now I'm just jumping to France, but in Europe, maybe, should I say. Um, in France, for example, feel that it's their place to um, advocate for the removal of the hijab for Muslim women who have not asked them to, who believe that empowerment is for all women um, going on the streets naked or without bras on, um, who feel that prostitution should be a free choice, even though loads of um, West African women are being trafficked to France, to Italy, and being forced into prostitution. And so I think it just begins to lose a lot of its subtlety and nuance of what we're actually fighting for. I think it just then becomes like more agenda-based rather than kind of the values and um, yeah, the underlying rights, if that makes sense. It kind of becomes like, I'm fighting for this specific movement, like the removal of the hijab. I'm fighting for legal prostitution um, and so forth. But what are your thoughts on that, Natasha? Yeah, I, I love everything that you brought up. I think that all of those points are absolutely important and um, to kind of summarize, like, my views on feminism, um, I don't have the official quote, but it's from that book, Colonize This, that we'll all put in the show notes as well. And one of the women um, who, like, it's a series of essays. So one of the essays in it, the author was basically saying that feminism was, like, basically is a, like, middle, upper class white woman's movement. For that would liberate them from the house, so like duties of the house, like cooking and taking care of kids. And in doing so, it actually 
put those duties into the hands of women of color. Um, and I thought that that was like a very concise and like very accurate critique of woman or excuse me, of feminism. Um, and I think that, I mean, okay, this is going to come across as much more, I don't know, as much more of a criticism than maybe I intend, because I, I do recognize that there are some very great things that have come out of the feminist movement. But I think like many white centered movements, it tends to cater only to whiteness and it tends to like erase any other way of being. And should someone from a different identity challenge that way of being rather than open their ranks, at least in my experience, rather than accept and open their ranks, I feel like it's very much a defensive thing. And it's like, no, this is how it is to be a woman. And one of the other things in this book that has come across is um, this one author was talking about how she was taking a bunch of feminist courses in college and she couldn't reconcile for herself how all these women, all these, you know, like majority white feminist women were talking about like how women who were in the house just like cooking and cleaning and supporting their husband and their kids were just like passive and this woman was like I couldn't understand that because yes my mother and my grandmother were cooking and cleaning and supporting my dad or like supporting the men in their family and all the kids but they were also working like two jobs in order to support it so how can you say that that's passive and then they're that they're not striving and they're not trying to survive you know and I think I think it's a very it's a very one-sided look at what it means to be a woman. And I think in many ways kind of like circling back to what you were saying about womanism about how you didn't necessarily feel that your faith or your spirituality was represented. I wonder if it's almost an inherent part of any kind of ism or movement to be kind of maybe not necessarily one-sided but to not be necessarily representative of every single community. Um, cause yeah, I wonder, I wonder exactly like, I mean, part of me is like, I, I definitely feel that womanism and we'll get into a little discussion of Panayism in just a minute, but I definitely feel that womanism in many ways is a more open interpretation of what it means to be a woman. Um, but then, you know, like you brought up that point about, oh yeah, well, they don't necessarily at least from our research, again, if if someone is much more of an expert on this and wants to get in touch and, and have this deeper conversation about spirituality and faith, um, we're more than open to that. But from our readings, there weren't much, there wasn't much of a mention of that. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it is probably more of a symptom of the isms, um, to be fair, which is why I said I, I don't think it was a direct critique of womanism. Um, but then it just kind of makes me reflect on what the best way forward is. Um, is it literally just keep on creating these different sub-movements of sorts um, to cater to each individual experience? Or is it trying to find a more inclusive, I don't even know if that's the right word, but kind of like overarching um, and just, yeah, I don't know, like welcoming movement that embodies all these different aspects and then part of me is just like well the only issue or the only reason why we have all these different movements is to respond to the different kind of 
identities that we've created like we weren't born with these different types of identities that we're chatting about um and so I feel like it's one of those things where we are um we're basically creating the issue for us to need a problem or to, to need an answer to solve the problem in the first place and I think actually um I read recently I think it might have been in that book The Defining Decade but it was saying that all aunts all um problems are once a solution and I think that's this is exactly the case where like feminism was once upon a time a solution and now it's a problem and who knows maybe in like 20 years time 50 years time womanism will present itself as a as a problem who knows yeah I think that that is like super like astute observations and just like thoughts in general about this like yeah, there is. So I, I get torn all the time. And I think you and I have had this discussion before about like, you know, how race was constructed by the white man in general and is a social construct. Um, and then put on top of that, all these other aspects of our identities that we either put on ourselves or are put on us by society or others, whatever. Um, And so there's part of me that just wants to actively reject all of those, which I recognize as part of my privilege, um, because there are many people who cannot, like physically cannot reject those um, and like the repercussions of those. Um, Because, yes, part of me is like part of the part of me that like is so in tune or not necessarily in tune, but is so passionate and inspired by an individual's story really just wants to recognize each person that I come across or each person as like a story, because I think everyone's story is extremely important, both the ways that they choose to tell their story and present their story and the ways that their story acts on them. Um, And then there's part of me that also, like, I think we've mentioned this as well, there was this study that I read a while ago that was saying, you know, when you are a manager or overseeing eight or fewer people, you can see each of their individualities. But once you get to above eight people, you start to see them as like a statistic or a group and like you no longer see them as individual people. And so there's that in me as well, where I feel that a lot of times humans are categorizing each other and yeah, I just, I don't exactly know. I know this is like getting into kind of the realm of, I don't exactly know what, but it just makes me think like, what is the actual place of all of these isms? And maybe, maybe let's put a pin in that because I kind of want to circle back to that at the end. I do just want to briefly mention um, Panayism um, and like how I kind of came across that. And maybe we can have a, a chat about like the interrelationship between womanism and panayism. Um, so to, to go through that quickly, when I was doing all this reading on womanism, what I first came across was that it was a predominantly like black woman um, addition or like enrichment of feminism, um, but it was also open to other people of color um, or excuse me, women of color or women identified people of color. Um, and And then so I was doing a little bit more research, but like feeling a little bit like this is really cool. I definitely identify with a lot of what they're saying. But as a Filipino American, do I have like a claim to it? Do I even like is there even a claim to it? Whatever that might mean. So then I got kind of inspired to research into Filipino equivalents and I came across Panayism. Um, And Panayism was I wrote an article about it for um, Winter's Bloom. 
Um, I don't remember the author's name. It's Allison something. She has a very long last name, but I will make sure to put that put that in the show notes. Um, but it like it definitely spoke to me in a lot of ways. One of the things in one of the articles they were talking about how Filipino women have a lot of competition with each other, and oftentimes that competition comes across in like a very critical and sometimes even like violent way. And that's something that like when I read that, I I had this moment of almost like validation because I saw that in my mom so much. Like I like to think that I don't necessarily feel that, that that cycle was kind of broken. But um, for example, just to give you a little brief story, there was this other woman that I went at the time we were girls. Um, so we went to grade school and high school together and she was also mixed race Filipina. And my mom would always like pit us against each other. Like we were never particularly close, but she would always like, whenever I'd bring back my report, report card, she would be like, well, what did this woman get? And like, I, I'm not going to say her name because she doesn't need to be like, whatever. Um, but she would always like have us compete and she did not like her mom because her mom was also a Filipino woman. And it was just one of those things where it's like, in my mind, I was like, but we're very similar. Why would you pit us against each other? Why would you not like her? Like, wouldn't you want to be close with her or be friends with her? Um, but anyway, so there was that that came through. But then another thing that really came through for me through in Panayism um, is that it's a very like community oriented and like all about it's similar to womanism in the ways that it wants to be a little bit more holistic and include Pinoy's as well, who are like male identified Filipinos. Um, but one of the things that came through with for me as well, which is also in my Winter's Bloom article, is the like close relationship and potential even appropriation of the womanist movement, because I'm very conscious of how like a lot of the privileges that I have now were very much like came off the back of black women. Um, and I think I even use that phrase in my article. And so part of me is really excited about this concept of Panayism, but part of me is also a little bit cautious in that how much of this was kind of co-opted from the womanist movement. And Sophia, I don't know if through your reading, you had a different read or like what your thoughts are on the relationship between the two. Mm, I really enjoyed um, reading your blog post actually about that. And I actually, it hadn't actually even really crossed my mind that it could be appropriation. Um, well, that just, that thought just wasn't <clears throat> my first thought. So I really enjoyed how you kind of teased out that possible tension. Um, I think after reflecting on it more, I I wouldn't call it appropriation because, well, my understanding of appropriation is that there definitely has to be a kind of... Um, power dynamic imbalance and that's usually with like a kind of you know a, a historic power imbalance where I don't know like a colonial <clears throat> power you know was taking something from a movement from a culture from um the colonized uh community whereas I feel because both um Filipino and black people have experienced different forms of repression I don't see that power imbalance um I think the only I don't even know if I'd call it an issue I think the only like danger is that in 
kind of like what you said, I guess, acknowledging the the efforts of those who came before, I don't think it necessarily has to be um, the very people of, of that community that has, you know, laid the, the ground. If other groups who have experienced um, oppression of some sort have done that work, I think that's completely fine. I think it's just remembering to then not turn a blind eye when that very community that has helped your personal community um, be empowered are needing support. Um, and so I feel like this could go on a tangent with um, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. But I think what would be, for me, important as like a, a Black individual um, is to to see that same support and allyship, if I can say, um, just being replicated. Mm. Yeah, I like, I like what you're saying because I think and so this is why I appreciate our conversation so much, because I feel being in the U.S. where everything is highly politicized and I mean, I think all throughout the world, but I know like in the U.S. a lot is very racialized, genderized, like able abilityized, if that's even a word, which I don't think it is. But, you know, like all the isms are like very much alive and well in the U.S., um, which I think is, is a good thing for sure. Um but I appreciate kind of some of the like outside perspective on this because I think sometimes it is so easy to get caught up and not want to make a step in one direction or another because of fear of like messing up. And I think inherently people are going to make mistakes. And as long as you kind of like process those mistakes and learn from them, that's really important. And I also just like really value your perspective on a lot of this. And I think that's something as well that I've been thinking a lot about too in terms of like, okay, there are ways that we, and, and I'm not just talking about movements or isms here, like I'm talking about a lot of different things and that line between appropriation and like um, inspiration and also just like mobilizing and showing up and being an ally and working together to try to fix this system. Um, there are ways that we borrow from each other. And part of me, again, there's a privilege that accompanies this, but part of me is just like, I don't necessarily care where these ideas come from as long as we're all working towards the same thing. But of course, like I'm kind of a nerd in the way that I do inherently care where these come from. Like I always try to figure out the backstory because I think I'm just always kind of into that and I want to always dig a little bit deeper. I just don't take things like cherry picked. Um, which I think is important because I think if you just cherry pick things, sometimes that's like they're out of context and context I feel is very important, which I think is what kind of brought us onto this whole discussion of womanism and paniaism and maybe some of the um, lacking bits in feminism. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely like going a little bit on a tangent in terms of allyship between Filipino and black communities and just like wider marginalized com communities in general. Um, but I wanted to kind of like bring this whole discussion maybe back a little bit more to the personal and kind of ask you, what are the ways, if at all, that womanism or paniaism show up in your life? I think it shows up predominantly in my great desire to elevate and empower women of color, um, and particularly women of color from lower social backgrounds 
Um, and it's not to say that I don't <laughs> encourage or celebrate the elevating of other other bodies, um, but I just think because I relate so much to um, that particular demographic's struggles, um, and because at the same time, even though I can relate, I've also I also acknowledge that I'm in quite a privileged position with my education, um, with my financial stability, and so forth. That it seems I wouldn't be able to feel completely at ease with myself um, to just enjoy my privilege and not think about these people that I see as part of of a community of sorts for me. Um, and yeah, so I think that kind of baseline has influenced everything from like Winter's Bloom to um, the new job that I'm hoping to start soon um, to the books that I read, to the people that I'm drawn to. I think it's, yeah, I see it show up in many different ways in my life. How about you? I'm, so again, I feel like I'm very inspired by story. And I think that that's something, um, there's another article that I'll post on the show notes that is about Pinayism as actual pedagogy. And that's a very like story-centered, trying to like in intuition building kind of approach to um, education or pedagogy in general. And that really spoke to me and that I really do feel that when I'm getting to know someone or when I'm sitting across from someone or whatever, just doing something with someone, I really want to center their story. And I was recently listening to a podcast called um, That's Not How That Works, and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and, and the woman who, one of the women, um, both hosts are anti-racist educators. And one of them was saying this thing that really, I like, I really um, was vibing with. And she was saying how um, she, like, she went through that whole process of, um, like, really hating whiteness or really hating, like, white men specifically or whatever. Um, but she's kind of, like, processed that and is at this place now where she really wants to honor the humanity in everyone. So even if it's someone like a, a super violent white supremacist or something, like she wants to honor their humanity. And sometimes it takes more work than with other people. But that really like resonated with me. And that was something that I feel womanism and panayism maybe do a better job at than feminism at this point in time, but like you're saying, Sophia, kind of circling back to what you're saying before, um, it's very possible that they will then become problems that we don't foresee now. Um, but yeah, so I think the ways that, that they kind of show up in my life is, is the ways that I, they remind me of the ways that I want to approach every person that I interact with. And sometimes again, like with this co-host on this podcast, like sometimes it's a little bit more challenging than others. Um, but I, I do also recognize that my journey with both of these concepts is very, like, very much in its infancy. Like, I don't, I'm definitely not anywhere near an expert. I have a lot more reading that I want to get involved in. But I think, I think what I also really enjoy about these two uh, concepts is that they are very much like, like, quote unquote, family oriented or community oriented. Like, they're not about like pitting anyone against each other like they're very much like that was another thing that came through in the readings for both of them and it's not about pitting women of color against white women or it's not about pitting uh, men against women it's about like trying to widen the discussion 
um, and like elevate those voices that are not necessarily represented in some of the other movements. Um, I also wanted to briefly try to get us into the discussion of, um, so, so we mentioned before that neither of us had heard of these concepts until like this book um, and until we kind of like delved into the research ourselves. And I was wondering, I mean, obviously you never really know why, but like, like, I feel like feminism is super out there and I know that this is a super leading question, but Sophia, I was wondering if you have any thoughts as to why we had never heard of these concepts before, even though they're like pretty well-established concepts, like Alice Walker has been around for a while. And apparently in my research, this was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. So it's been around since before we were born. Um, anyway, yeah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Um, I think it just goes back to the fact that this movement is seen as being an alternative movement. I just think, especially in the month that we're in now in the UK, like Black History Month. Why is it Black History Month? Is Black History not his like normal history? You know what I mean? It's just like a whole kind of subcategory. And I imagine, I don't know, this is just, just my thoughts. Um, but I have the feeling that it's something similar where this is seen as, even though it can include, of course, women like white women, um, it is seen as being alternative because it's they're not like the normative or like defining um, kind of model type for this movement, if that makes sense. So I think it's just one of those cases where if it doesn't really align with whatever the norm, norm or normative line is in a society, then it's just seen as an alternative thing. And alternative movement, movements <laughs> only really gain um traction when they become mainstream like white veganism <laughs> um so th those are my thoughts at least yeah I kind of have to agree with you a lot on that and and I don't want to take this too much on a tangent um because you know I definitely do need to formulate more of my thoughts on this but I do like I really like the way that you brought up the quote-unquote alternative movement and that's something that frustrates me so much is that I think inherently and I and I know that you're not like this isn't necessarily what you're doing but I think inherently when something is labeled as alternative it just means that it's not the norm which in both of our societies I feel confident to say is like the white heterosexual male um and so by that definition even feminism is alternative although I think that's become very much more normalized um and predominant in our society. But I just like, I remember during my master's program, like finding a lot of readings by women of color, people of color, people from quote unquote alternative backgrounds, and just like realizing that a lot of their perspectives spoke more to me than any of the white men and women that I were reading and like what they were doing. And I think that's one of those things where like even. I try to be conscious in the ways that I talk about these things because I think, I don't know, like I think that these things should not be alternative, particularly in the U.S. where we talk about minorities or we talk about the margin, well, marginalized is still true, but we talk about minorities. And in fact, like minorities are not going to be minorities much longer. Like we're actually almost the majority in the U.S. if we not, if we are not already. And so when that becomes the case or if that's already the case, how can our perspectives be seen as alternative? You know what I'm saying? I mean, of course, it, it comes into 
like what comes into play is like the power dynamics and who's in power. And that's still very much um, the white man. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just, I also wanted to kind of ping it back to you, Sophia. And, um, you know, through this process of like reading and discussing and talking about these concepts, um, are there aspects um, of this that you want to kind of like intentionally carry forward? Like, I know we talked about the ways that it shows up in our lives, but were there any learning moments or yeah, little tidbits that you either didn't know before or just want to incorporate more or intentionally re-engage with? Well, I think the movement as a whole, or both of them actually, um, the fact that I didn't even know they existed, I think I'll definitely be bringing it up in conversation, obviously, when um, appropriate, not just forcing on people. But yeah, I think I would like to somewhat be <laughs> not a spokesperson, but I guess just to let people know that there are alternative things out there. Um, and hopefully let it catch on in some way, shape or form. Um, I I actually did not read the article that you mentioned about, um, or not, I didn't get onto the bit where I was talking about how it could be used in practice. Um, Panayism, sorry, that is. Um, so I think something like that where it, has a practical element is something I'd probably need to research and look more into um but for now I think knowing it exists <laughs> um is is a lot for me already yeah yeah I agree with that I think that it kind of goes back to one of our previous conversations about representation and how um you know like yeah representation in tvs and or in tvs in tv shows movies like music books it's all really important but when it comes to important movements like feminism or womanism or panayism like that's also super important because those are like things that are actually trying to gain awareness for and change things that are broken in our system um so yeah I think like even just knowing that it exists and knowing that I can actively engage with it um which I think I will kind of as we move forward um and also just like remembering the the conversations that came out of this. Like I think um I think that this has been a really interesting conversation. I think a lot of things have come out of it. Um and yeah, just like remembering like I think it really was a reminder that stories and representation matter. Um and I think that that's really important and something that we are trying to do at Winter's Bloom. Um Anyway, I wanted to, before we kind of close off this discussion, I wanted to pass it back to you, see if you had any last recommendations, tidbits, points of wisdom, takeaways that you wanted to share with us before we close out. Yeah, I guess a final kind of reflection, just going back to what you briefly said about how in both the US and the UK, um, the white male heterosexual experience is basically our kind of um, normative point of reference. Um, but yeah, you know, they are quickly being outgrown by a majority of minorities. Um, and it kind of just made me think that I feel like even though, and this might be a bit contentious at the moment, because I know that elections, uh, presidential elections are going on in the US, but I feel like even though Donald Trump is a horrible leader, I feel like he is literally like he represents for me patriarchy and everything that he's about just holding on by its bare teeth like he is probably one of the last of his kind you know what I mean 
um, they are a dying breed. So that gives me some hope. <laughs> yeah, I love that you say that because I think, I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that I've interpreted a lot of his, a lot of what's been happening as we lead up to the election. And I know that a lot of what he says and does has a lot of very real repercussions. Like when he basically gave, you know, free reign to the white supremacists, like that is very problematic. And, um, lots of people are feeling the effects of that. Um, and so not, I'm not trying to minimize like that at all. Um, but I just, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think like he represents for a lot of people in this country, the fact that our country is no longer like that. Like his very slogan of make America great again is like so much nostalgia for this white, like time in history where like whiteness reigned supreme. And even though that is still very much embedded in our systems and it's going to take a long time for us to dismantle that that is no longer the day-to-day reality. Like when you go out into this world, in the US at least, you cannot separate everyone else from whiteness. You know what I'm saying? Like this country is so diverse. I mean, obviously some places are less so than others. But um, yeah, I I basically, I, I agree with what you're saying and I, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, It gives me a lot of hope that like these movements and these conversations are gaining more traction and like have more platforms to occur. Um, so yeah, I guess we will leave our conversation on womanism and panayism at that spot for now. Please reach out to us if you have a lot of knowledge or even if you don't have a lot of knowledge and just like are super into or have critiques of these, just anything. Please get in touch if you have anything that you would like to share with us. We're always down to have conversations with people other than ourselves, although we have a lot of fun having conversations with each other. Um, And yeah, if you can, please write us a review, uh, leave us a rating. It helps folks to find us. Um, And until next time, bye.